and welcome to Classic Courtship, a comprehensive guide to relationships for retirees. In this three-hour course, we'll help grow your confidence, help you discover how and where to meet new and exciting people, and teach you to navigate the complex modern landscape of social media and online dating. Remember, you are a vital, attractive, and intelligent person who deserves fascinating friends and riveting romance. If that seems intimidating, don't worry. We'll break it down into simple parts. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all, here are some major bullet points to remember. These tips will come back again and again, so we thought it best to introduce them right away. One, to meet someone new, do something new. Perhaps a dance class or a book club. Taking up new hobbies is a great way to learn something exciting and gain a new social group. Two, take pride in your appearance. Perhaps that means you prioritize fitness or spruce up your wardrobe. Perhaps it means you put on a little lipstick before you leave the house. Only you know what it takes to put your best foot forward. Three, date around. There's no need to immediately commit yourself to one person. You're in this for fun. Four, if you do decide to settle down, don't forget to tie up all loose ends. You never know when they might come back to haunt you. Five, don't tell someone you love them if you don't plan on staying with them. This could create animosity, and it's wrong to lead a woman on when you have absolutely no intention of giving her what she wants. Six, don't let your past successes go to your head. I don't care about your old life, Gerald. I know what you're doing right now. Seven. A tape, Gerald, really? As if you need any help jumping into bed with a myriad of strange women at the drop of a hat. Isn't that what you're good at? Eight. Don't give a woman you plan on ghosting a key to your house. You have to be wondering how I did this. Right, Gerald? Nine. Never turn your back on an unlocked door. Ten. Or soon, I haven't already found a way in. Hello, Gerald. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. It's an improvised episode this week. No, no, no. JK. <laughs> Leslie's ready. Get excited, fiends, because our girl Leslie is taking the reins for a pearl-clutching episode sure to leave you all talking. Mm-hmm. But like do it in our Facebook group because yeah. we need the engagement. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And also out on the street because we need people to... Loudly. Yeah. We want Loudly followers. on the street. Bring them in. And make sure you say our name while you're talking about it. Yes. <laughs> I heard the story on We Would Be Dead. 
It's a podcast called We Would Be Dead. Yeah, just keep repeating it. Enunciate it really yeah. well. Good, good, good. And as always, I'll be back with a full case for you next week, but I'm going to enjoy being on the other side for right now. Mm-hmm. It's nice over here. It's relaxing. Cozy, right? It is. <laughs> hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Beans. Welcome back. We took a break. Who who even are we? I don't know. I, I don't either. And it was on purpose. I know. I never do that willingly. Yeah. Usually I have to get really, really sick before I'll even slow down a little. And even then, I'm still doing stuff through the sickness. Right. I like famously mowed my lawn and cleaned my house through COVID. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) This time we actually did it, though. Mm -hmm. Good for us. But stepping away is not without its consequences. And I'm going to be honest with you, fiends. The validation is uh, pretty dried up. Yeah, I used a lot. Uh, Me too. Our skin has gone dry and dull and... We're finding it hard to get the pep back in our step, which is not the vision that I have for 2023. Not at all. No. But thankfully, our fiends can help us out with all of our first world problems. <laughs> how? But how, you must be asking yourself. I am. So glad you did it this week. <laughs> uh, you must be asking this while you're chugging away on a treadmill, too, because it's a new year and we're all going to be super fit for 2023, right? Peloton, man. I wish I had a Peloton. <laughs> Oh, man. One day. be a sponsor. Yeah, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) If only. We could do the podcast on Pelotons. I would do that. That's fine. And then, yeah. (sighs) It would really up the intensity. It would sound like we were, like, fighting for our life and, like, running from something the whole time. I don't know, guys. It could be, it could be cool. Let us know what you think. All right. Back to how you can help. (laughs) Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward, and Forward Motion is the name of the game in 2023. And the more support we get, the more we can do. And let's be honest, everybody just wants more, right? More, 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 more. Yeah. But if you just cannot wait for more, we would be dead in your life. Well, we've got you covered there, too. You can support us over on Patreon. Enthusiastic one. Yeah. There for just a small monthly donation or a large one, if you love us a lot, you will get all kinds of special love from us, like giveaways, Zoom chats, merch offers, access to our weekly after show host mortem, which is available in both audio only format and videos. Take whatever you want. Maybe you want to see our face. Maybe you don't. It's up to you. You'll also have access to all of our patron minisodes, 30-minute horror movies, get a little gift in the mail from us, and an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. More. So so much stuff. Wow. I know, right? And if all of that is too much for you or you want to do all of that and and also more things, you can simply (laughs) follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod everywhere and anywhere. You can like our content, share our content, like and share our content. Uh, Yeah. You can you can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your new spin instructor which is why it's really funny you said Pelotons because I had written that before you said it. (laughs) Because like I said before, the new year is time for us all to like get into our best shape always. And what's your new spin instructor's name? Mm, Well, I would say Cam, but there was also a Terry. Oh, was it? remember? Jerry? Jerry. It was Jerry. Jerry. I've already done this one. I'm sorry. It's Jerry. Well, you have a new spin instructor for the new year. Cam. So Cam. Yeah. But we all know what happened to Jerry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. <yeah. laughs> I know. <laughs> it was not Peloton induced. It was not. No. No. L- long live or rest in peace, Jerry, I suppose. Yes. 
So then your friends and Cam can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Great. And I think that's all I have before I turn the reins over to you, Leslie. Do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly, I, I originally didn't. Oh, you do but, now. Um, yeah, because it's a new year. Okay. And um, we started talking about it before we mentioned the Peloton. Okay. We were talking about what we needed for our, like, skin to glow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Is it time for our ad? Well, <laughs> it's actually time for my song. Oh, no, I didn't ask you. You didn't. Oh, what a failure I am this week. So, John, add in a little backwards thing, and Holly's going to do her validation thing again. <laughs> Damn it. I don't know what could possibly fix our dry skin and no pep in our step sadness. What do you think? What would we get? How about like a nice heated face mask full of validation, a hill worth dying on. Oh, thank you for remembering that, Leslie. Well, it's important. It's really important. You know, and I forget what it is until you help me get there. I know. This week was I don't have to do much. And then I just fall off the wagon. I know. This is why. You can't even speak. I can't. This is why. This is why you're done. I need. Okay. So I'm done now then. You're done. Thank you for adding that. And uh, well, all right then. So all you girl. On with the show. On Wednesday, July 11th, 2012, landscapers Becky Schubert and Nathan Gilmore arrived in the morning at Sonier Household to do regular scheduled maintenance. The home was located in an affluent neighborhood in Lubbock, Texas. Upon their arrival, no one seemed home, which was often the case, so they just got to work. A few moments later, a young woman from Dr. Sonier's office pulled up to the house asking if they, the landscapers, had seen or heard from the doctor that day. The young woman said that when he had not shown up for work and no one could reach him, she decided it was best to come check on him. The landscapers understood the young woman's concerns. They did not know the doctor's schedule, but they knew him and knew this was not normal behavior. Assuming the doctor was just homesick, the three of them tried knocking on the door and tried entering the home from the front with no luck. They walked to the back of the house, and that's when they noticed an entire window missing. Ooh. Becky Schubert told Dateline in an interview that the back of the house is all windows, and I thought maybe I could knock on his window and just make sure he was okay. But when I got back there, one whole section of the window had just been laid over in the house, so it had just been, like, collapsed inside. Oh, weird. Now on edge, all three of them peered into the home, calling the doctor's name with no answer. They spotted a Gatorade bottle and a shell casing on the floor. The young woman immediately went into the home and Nathan followed. I just love that. <laughs> so Nathan, during an interview with Dateline, tells the reporter that he remembers walking through the large home with a young woman from the doctor's lab, and she was speeding through from room to room, and eventually they made it to the garage. But can you just like, it's just like just this young woman and yeah. this guy, and she's just like, forge ahead. He's like, but, but, oh, but this, wait. we could die. Yeah. They don't know that, the, they don't know what's in there. Exactly. It could, whoever like busted the window and could still be in that house. You don't know. Mm -hmm. So they went from room to room and then they eventually made it to the garage where they found the owner of the home, 57-year-old esteemed pathologist, Dr. Joseph Sonier, lying face down in a dried up pool of blood. Becky, Becky had already called the damn cops. 
good. Mm-hmm. They told the 911 operator that Dr. Sonier was dead. It looked like he had been there for a while because mm. the blood had dried. Oh, gross. They believed he had been shot and possibly stabbed. There was just a lot of wound marks. Police were on their way. When police arrived on the scene, it was immediately evident this was not a robbery gone wrong. Among some of the evidence, they figured out that the Gatorade bottle had been used as a silencer for the gun. Oh, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't know either. I was thinking, like, poison. Yeah, no. Interesting. The large pool of blood surrounding Dr. Sonier traveled under the garage door onto the driveway. So it was a lot. He had been shot five times and stabbed 11. Ooh, God, somebody really wanted to make sure that worked. Mm-hmm. Detective Zach Johnson was sent to the scene after the police confirmed there was a dead body. Johnson could tell right away that this was not a robbery gone wrong, but instead a cold-blooded murder. So, like, 11 stabbings is a lot. Yeah, it's that's, a lot, right? and it's not an accident. They didn't, like, go in to have a mission and run into this guy and need to shoot him. That would be mm-hmm. one shot. Exactly. Thanks. And nothing was missing from the home. So that's why they were definitely like, it's not a robbery. Yeah. This was, they just were coming in to shoot this guy. Oh, my God. Shooting someone is very hands-off, but stabbing them a lot to make sure they were dead is very hands-on and personal. So Johnson believed that they were looking for someone who knew the doctor and wanted him dead. For sure. When Dr. Sonier's three sons found out about their father's gruesome death, they thought they had a case of deja vu. Uh, what? They were still grieving their mother's murder that had happened almost exactly two years earlier. Oh, my God. Both of their deaths were equally gruesome, and both, we will come to find out, were caused by a bad romance. Ooh. How did one happy family find themselves surrounded by so much sadness? Let's go back to the beginning. Like, so many murders. What? Both of them? That's wild. Mm -hmm. Joseph Albert Sonier III was born on September 14, 1954, to parents Joseph Albert Sonier Jr., and Anna Marie Sonier. Joseph grew up along with his three siblings in Shreveport, Louisiana, where he and his family moved in 1966. He has two sisters, Susie McBride and Missy Bartlett, and a brother, Dr. George Sonier. Two doctors. Yes. All right. Very good family. Mm-hmm. Joe's sister, Missy Bartlett, told Dateline NBC that their family grew up comfortably, but they were not rich by any means. The kids all walked to school. None of them had cars in high school. They all went to public schools and colleges. But Joe had always wanted to become a doctor. Soon after graduating from Captain Shreve High School, at 19 years old, Joseph Albersonier married his high school sweetheart, Becky Ballantyne. Isn't that a cute little name? That is a cute little name. The couple lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, and attended Louisiana State University. Joseph received his Bachelor of Science degree at LSU in Baton Rouge in 1976 graduating summa cum laude. Ooh, wow, okay. He received his medical degree from Louisiana State University School of Medicine in Shreveport. Becky received a bachelor and master's degree in education from LSU and would go on to teach preschool. Hmm. So they were just a cute little family. In 1980, Joseph was chosen for a residency in pathology at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas. He accepted the offer, and he and Becky made the move from Shreveport to Dallas. Just before she gave birth to their first son, Joseph Albersonet IV, instead of calling him Joseph or Junior, they started calling him the Dallas baby, and then Dallas, and then the nickname stuck. 
That's cute. It is cute. Better than like Quattro or something. Yeah. Their little family settled down in the upscale neighborhood of Highland Park, Texas. Two years later, Becky gave birth to their second son, James Sonyang. Dallas and James recall enjoying their childhood and growing up in a loving home. They played sports, loved watching movies and acting out scenes, and played with the neighborhood kids. Just a very wholesome childhood. Yeah, everything seems pretty good. Their father, Joseph, was still in residency, but made sure to spend all his free time with his wife and the boys. He loved playing basketball with them and board games. The boys remember their dad being kind and, and supportive, but very stern. Not like a warm and cuddly dad type, but mm, he was okay. there for them. He and Becky encouraged their boys to have fun, but work hard in all aspects of life, whether it be academic, athletics, or the arts. Joseph had only two main ru- rules for his boys. Be respectful, and my favorite, grades lower than an A, required a detailed explanation. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are an academically intense family, they so I, whatever you got to do. <laughs> <sighs> During Joseph's final year in residency at Parkland Hospital, he became chief resident. His skills as a pathologist were impressive and people noticed. At the completion of his studies, he got a job at DPA Laboratories and was quickly made a full partner. The Sonyers were doing very well financially at this point. Yeah, they would be. Once Dallas got to high school, he started to notice that one of their close neighborhood friends, Philip, was having a rough go at home. Philip's father had left when he was just a young boy and his mother struggled to hold down a job. And she was also trying to raise like the two sisters. So Philip was kind of getting neglected. Poor Philip. And Philip had already been spending all of his time over at the Sonier household and was best friends with Dallas and James. So when Dallas asked his parents if Philip could live with them, he was ecstatic when they said yes. And it was just oh, fine. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. If I were that kid's parents, I'd be like, no. Well, the dad left and yeah, the mom still. didn't care. That okay. was the point. Like, she just was like, I'm raising these other two, like, your sisters, these young oh, kids. All right. Okay. If someone else can take you and can pay for you, cool. Can you imagine that? Just being like, oh, yeah, that kid that's our neighbor now lives with our other neighbor. They yeah. just took him. That's weird. I know. So Joseph and Becky took in Philip like he was their own. He received an allowance. They helped him buy his first car, and they even partially paid for his college tuition. So he probably had a better life. Well, I mean, yeah, (laughs) just still that kid's going to grow up with a lot of weird baggage. Mm -hmm. All three boys went off to college, one right after the other. Dallas, who had a knack for storytelling and making movies growing up, attended University of Southern California for film class, and he did very well there. I tried finding more information about the other boys, but there's not a lot out there about them. It's mostly about Dallas because he does become like a famous executive producer. So he, he worked like on way. like Bone, Tomahawk, oh. and um, a lot of other, um, I think Cin- Cinematic is like his production company. He has and... a much flashier name too. Yeah. So Dallas Stone, yeah. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he works with movies and actually a lot of them are like horror films. So, well... He's a lot experienced of experienced in horror. Yeah. So a lot of times when they do articles on him, they like frame it that way. But he did horror movies like later. Got and, it. Yeah. Okay. So in 2001, Dallas was in his third year at USC and his younger brothers were also attending college and out of the house. Becky and Joseph were now experiencing an empty nest for the first time in 20 years. But Becky wasn't feeling settled and told her unsuspecting husband that she was leaving him for another man. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Dallas gets the call from his mother, who informs him that she's divorcing his father after 27 years of marriage. He was rightfully confused, just like his dad was. He only knew his parents as this perfect, loving, solid couple. 
He asked his mom if there was someone else, to which she said no, but offered no other explanation. Mm. He would later find out that this was not true. His mother, Becky, had started an affair with a Peruvian man named Fermin, I think it's Fermin Juan Galagos, who they call Juan. Okay. And Becky made the decision to be with Juan instead of Joseph. All right. I mean, relationships are complicated. I'm not here to judge Mm -hmm. your... And they'd been together since high school. I think she was like 17 when they got married. Yeah, that's so young. So who okay, knows? Okay, I mean, who knows? You know? I'm not here to judge. From And also what I can gather, too, from the several interviews and like, because there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of similar stories, but they mm-hmm. all have these tiny little pieces that when yeah. you read them all, you you can kind of get the sense that Joseph was a really good guy, but mm-hmm. he was kind of not cut off but just a little stern maybe like he not wasn't meeting as, all of your emotional needs if maybe. you were a person that needed a lot of maybe. like affection and stuff maybe. like that yeah okay and they were they were cute like he is a good looking guy and mm-hmm. she's like this cute cute woman mm-hmm. so I'm sure that there was some chemistry there regardless right. but I could totally see if he just threw himself into work for yeah. for those several years maybe there was some distance sure sure sure, sure. especially her being like a preschool, a preschool teacher. teacher. She just is probably so energetic. And like... Even in her photos, she just looks like... Cuddly. Yeah. Like you want people that are going to like mm-hmm. hug you and like, you know... And the boy said that their dad just wasn't really like that at that time. Well, that can be hard. She could have mm-hmm. felt very... I mean, like I'm not here to make excuses oh, yeah. for her or say that anybody deserved anything that happened. Mm-hmm. But like she could have felt a little attention starved in that regard. Yeah. We don't know what their life know. was like. So We don't know. So, in an interview with D Magazine, Dallas said, I thought my parents had the best marriage ever. That may be another product of growing up in the bubble. I thought my parents had a perfect marriage, and in fact, they had a strained marriage. So, no, you never want your kids to think you have a strained marriage. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I know. <laughs> so, the secret affair remains kind of a secret today. The details of when or how this affair started aren't really known. Becky never explained to the kids, and if Joseph knew, he didn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. It just was what it was. But this didn't sit well with Dallas, who didn't speak to his mother for four years. Shit. The divorce devastated the whole family, but it hit Joe really hard. He was looking forward to the second half of his life with his high school sweetheart. But now he found himself in his late 40s, single with three grown boys off to college. He didn't know what to do with himself. After some time had passed, Joe was done feeling sorry for himself and decided he was ready to move on and become a new man. And he did. Okay. His kids would later say in interviews that this was around the time his dad actually started to, like, soften up. So they were really becoming, like, best friends with their dad at this point. Oh, all right. Joe decided he wanted to take up ballroom dancing classes at night after work to get out and meet some friends. Sure. And he did. And he was a charming man. And making friends was easy for him. And he really enjoyed the classes. Great. It was challenging, and he was actually very good at it, which caught the eye of his instructor, Trish Berlingo. Mm-hmm. And in 2004, Trish would stop teaching him, and the two would begin dating. Oh, boy. She would teach him other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can't keep teaching him. That's a conflict of interest. It is, I guess. <laughs> very serious. I mean, ballroom, ballroom dancing. dancing. <laughs> In 2006, Joseph took a job at Covenant Health System in Lubbock, Texas, where he remained the chief pathologist. And that's that was like the last job he okay. had. Joseph and Trish continued their on and off again relationship until about 2011. So about seven years. All right. That's long. 
In an interview with Dateline NBC, Trish says that Joe was a classic gentleman, always opening and holding the door for her, giving her his jacket when cold. They would dance wherever and anywhere they went, even at the grocery store, if a good song came on in the aisle, which is like so cute and weird. It's so cute. But also, if I was grocery shopping, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? I got to (laughs) move. I need like, you know, taco mix or something. That's why you're not a ballroom dancer, Holly. (laughs) Yeah, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, but, but like your language would be more like theatrical. So like you and Will would be down the aisle and I don't know, something would come up and you just start talking to him in an old timey voice and you guys would just carry on a whole scene together, probably. Maybe. Although I would be very conscious of not being in other people's way. I'm very aware of that. Right. He didn't care. He did not care. He didn't care. No. Judgment be damned, Holly. That's right. (laughs) He's just that confident. Yeah. And she loved it, this Trish. (laughs) Trish woman. She loved (laughs) it. She loved it. You sound like my chatty neighbor or something. (laughs) This Trish woman. Pam. (laughs) You sound like Pam. Sound like Pam today. (laughs) All right. Ballroom dancing became a really big part of the doctor's life, Mm -hmm. who was now going up to six times per week. That's, that's a lot a of ballroom lot. Well, he's got nothing else to do. I guess not. It's just a pathologist during the day, ballroom dancer at night. Oh, boy. On one of the nights he was at the studio, a beautiful, blonde, 47-year-old woman named Rochelle Shatina came in the class. Trish. I know. <gasps> she and Joe hit it off right away. Uh, friends of the studio remember the two of them always smiling and laughing with each other during classes. And after Joe and Trish had called off their relationship in 2011, Joe and Rochelle began dating. Okay. The relationship was going very well, and Joe decided he wanted his boys to meet her at their next family barbecue. The boys really liked Rochelle. She was kind, sophisticated, and lovely, but they mostly liked seeing how happy their father was. Okay. Over the next year, the two continued dating exclusively. They vacationed together and had even gone to Paris for her 50th birthday. I went to Paris, Holly. You did? (laughs) I know you're French now. I'm French now. They were in love, and... That brings us up to the current. Okay. We're up to the event you mentioned in the very beginning. Got it. But before we move on, remember their mom died? Oh, my God. Yes. What happened to her? Okay. So, as I mentioned before, Dallas had not spoken to his mother in four years since the divorce. Yeah, that's rough. During that time, Dallas had finished film school, moved to Los Angeles to work, met his future wife. And around 2006, he reconnected with his mother and found out that she had moved to Fredericksburg, Louisiana, and married Juan. Okay. In 2008, Dallas married his wife, Shannon, and in 2010, they had their first daughter, and Becky flew to Los Angeles for the birth to meet her new granddaughter. So this all, I think she flew out there before she was born and then was there, like, for a couple of days. Got it. And um, and she helped her son and daughter-in-law in any way that she could. So in an interview with D Magazine, Dallas says, we could just tell that my mom was meant to be a grandma. That was going to be her great redemption, a way to make up for all the mistakes she made in her marriage. She was going to be the world's greatest grandma, and we knew it, and we were so excited for her. I kind of hate that. I know. Like, you need to redeem yourself. You made so many mistakes in your marriage. Like, I mean, he's an angry kid. I get it, but I don't love it. I also don't know, like, they don't talk about, like, what happened. So I don't yeah. know how they, yeah, I don't know. But Becky returned home and called Dallas to tell him that she was coming back soon. So the minute she landed, she was like, I'm coming back. Yeah. And he was just like, okay, cool. We'll, like, 
see you. But he didn't know that this was supposed to be a permanent move. She was planning to completely move out there. Oh, boy. And apparently her marriage with Juan was not going well. And according to Becky's sister, she was planning to leave Juan to move to California to be with her kids. Now, Juan must have found out that she was going to leave and that she would that she was going to file for divorce. And he was not happy about it. And then on July 12th, 2010, as Becky packed her bags, she heard a gunshot. (gasps) She ran out to the living room to find her husband holding a Smith & Weston pistol. And this is a trigger warning for animal lovers. Standing, so he had shot their dog. Oh, no. Then Juan fatally shot Becky twice in the chest, um, where she fell to ooh. the floor. Um, he called 911 to report the shooting and then used the gun on himself. Oh. So when police got to the scene, they found Becky and the dog dead. And Juan was sitting on their couch with a gunshot in his head, still alive. They rushed him off to the university hospital, but he died several hours later. So there had been no history of domestic dispute between the couple, though Becky's sister seemed to be the only one aware of like some of their marriage troubles, but not that it was like she, I don't think she was like nervous for her death per se. She wasn't like, oh no, she's unsafe. Yeah, but she did know. She at least knew more than the kids did that okay. her mom, that their mom was going to leave Juan and she wanted out of that marriage. He shot the dog. You picked a case where the dog dies. I'm sorry. Oh, Leslie. I know. <laughs> so Becky was only 55 when she was killed. And only like a, she, a few days after her Look granddaughter. She met her granddaughter. Oh, so sad. That's really sad. I know. So the family and kids were shaken up and heartbroken for sure. And then almost exactly two years later on July 10th, so she died on July 12th. On July 10th, their father would be killed and they would find out the day before the anniversary of their mother's death. Shit. I know. Isn't that wild? Yes. Oh, so, okay. So now the police have combed through the scene at Dr. Sonia's home and detectives are sensing that this was no accident or robbery gone wrong. So after notifying the family, they also asked them to come in for questioning to see if they could learn more about the doctor and hopefully find out who would want to kill him. Yeah. Yep. There was one person they didn't have to track down, though, and that was Rochelle, Dr. Sonia's girlfriend, who, once she got word of Joseph's death, dropped everything and drove to the house. Detective Johnson was still surveying the crime scene when she arrived. She was dressed like she had just been doing housework, you know, like the laundry, laundry day clothes. Her hair was up in a messy bun, looking like she never expected to leave the house that day. The detective could clearly see how distraught she was when she pulled up and he had her go down to the station for questioning. He would meet her there. Okay, so she reacted appropriately, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. There she told him about who Joe was to her. This was a quote. He was a sweetheart. He was a beautiful dancer. He was kind and handsome and tall. And he's the love of my life. And he's the kindest man. So that's like how she kind of started. Johnson asked her when she last spoke to him. She told them that the last communication they had together was the afternoon before over text. They were supposed to talk again at night, but she hadn't heard from him the rest of the day. And around 10.32 p.m., she sent him a goodnight text with no response. Mm. Yep. Rochelle tells the investigators that months before Joseph's murder, she had felt like they had been, they were being followed. Oh. Right? Oh, no. There was a big, creepy-looking guy sitting outside of her gym who seemed like he was looking for someone. And then once she made eye contact with him, he immediately put the phone to his ear like he was talking to someone else. 
Oh my God, you got to call the cops. Mm-hmm. She had also spotted this person outside the dance studio and one of the dance instructors also like will like confirm that and be like, yeah, there's like, there was this so weird said- big guy like out there sometimes. Like, I don't know oh, what he was no. doing. Like, and, but they're like women in a dance studio that they're like, is it just kind of like a perv? Like, but I don't this, know. She, the, what is her name? Rochelle? You, Rochelle, yeah. Okay. She had like several incidences with the same man in different locations though. I would have been like, uh, I know. That's I think what I need I to know. tell somebody about this. I dude. know. Yeah. So it, that's, it's weird. On another night, she and Joseph were in his kitchen just talking when they saw what looked like a camera flash outside the window mm. in his backyard. It startled them both. So they both noticed this camera flash. Okay. And they both said, well, they both saw a flash and they both felt like that seemed like something from a camera phone. Yeah. But they didn't think it was weird enough to call the police. Oh, my God. Or go outside and check. Like, they like, didn't even go after What's it. the worst that can happen if you call the cops? They don't find anything or they find this guy who's like, I just like dance classes. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? No, I know. I love the way Dr. Sonia dances. I just like watching the dancing. Yeah. All right, then. Moving on. Yeah, you're super weird. Please tone it down. Continue. I know. So in February of 2012, she came home to a letter claiming to be from an ex-girlfriend of Joseph's. The letter was written to Joseph and said that he owed this woman money for sex and alleged that it wasn't the first time and and this payment and this late payment was hindering this woman's ability to pay her rent. So the letter was signed by Tina. There was no last name. Rochelle said Joseph dismissed it immediately and figured that it must be someone trying to drive a wedge between them, especially with some of the other weird shit that was like going on. So there is like, I don't know. What a weird assumption to make. I know. Just be like, oh yeah, it's a person. People are always coming to get me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. So Rochelle had no reason not to believe him because it was just a weird letter to get. No, but like that's a big sweeping thing to say. I know. It it is. It is. Joseph even told his family, but like, so with this letter, it's a weird letter, but Joseph even told his family about it. And he actually wanted Rochelle to take the letter to the police, but I guess they didn't bother authorities with that one either. (sighs) So the detectives find all this information interesting and possibly it's connected to his murder. Well, yeah. Yeah. So they asked Rochelle if she could think of anyone who would want to kill Joseph, and she immediately gives them the names of a few of her ex-boyfriends, but focusing most on Dr. Thomas Michael Dixon, a plastic surgeon from Amarillo, Texas, who goes by the name of Mike or Dixon, so I'll probably go back and forth. This was the last guy she dated before dating Joe. Also weird that she immediately has an answer. Usually when they're like, can you think of anybody who would want to kill your husband? Like nine times out of ten, people are like, no. Right. Now she was like, yes, I can. Here is a list. Right. Well, I'm thinking that because again, when I hear these interviews, they're all broken up into like, they're trying to like sensationalize the story a lot. So I tried to listen to a bunch of different Mm -hmm. um, interviews and read a bunch of articles. So from what I can gather is as they're asking her these questions, she, she tells them about like, I felt like I was being followed for months. And I would say things to Joe and he was like, I, I don't think you're necessarily being followed. You're probably right. just getting weird vibes. So now she's piecing this together. Like maybe this is connected. Yeah. And if anybody would be trying to follow me, it might be an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And and maybe that's who killed Joe. Wow. It's still like a, it's a big statement to make, especially 
if you don't know that these guys have done anything because you're potentially ruining their lives right. if they didn't. Like Now, the police are specifically asking for a ton of names. Like they want to okay. know all of their history because they're just like, okay, who did? Because they're also going to ask who Joe dated. They're going right. to ask everything. Okay. So Rochelle gives several names. She has a she has a list of ex-boyfriends that she had dated. Okay. But this is the recent one and this is the big name. And she has good reason to maybe feel this way. Okay, sure. Okay. Rochelle met Dr. Dixon uh, when she went to the Sensi Med Spa in Amarillo, Texas for Botox injections in 2010. Ugh, I want to go. I know. Dr. Dixon was the owner of the spa. They quickly became friends. And after continuous visits and becoming Facebook friends, the two started an affair. Oh, my goodness. Because he was married. Oh, Lord, there's a lot of that about right now. I know. So Dixon's wife found out about the affair and divorced them immediately. Mm-hmm. Rochelle and Dixon continued dating for a few months, but she describes their relationship as tumultuous. Mm. She says he didn't necessarily have a temper, but that he was mean-spirited and was basically like a stereotypical like gaslighter, like narcissist mm-hmm. kind of personality. So every argument ended with her apologizing, regardless of whether it was her fault or not. And despite their tumultuous relationship, Rochelle was still hoping to marry Mike. And she thought on her next birthday that she was going to get engaged. So we've talked about these relationships before. It was like a lot of love bombing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and she's old. She's in her 40s. She's just like, this is a nice guy who has his life together. What can... Can it be really that bad? Yeah, I'd like a companion. <laughs> I can I can handle this. No, you I can't. Bo- I also get Botox. <laughs> Maybe like free Botox? Yeah, I exactly. don't know. I think I'd deal with a little bit more than your average situation for free Botox. That's what she's saying. <laughs> just, just saying, yeah. guys. So on the day of her birthday, she received a package at her front door addressed to her from Mike. She opened it to find that he had signed her up for the Tea of the Month Club as her birthday gift. Boo. <laughs> And when they went out to dinner that night, he had nothing else for her. So, you know, like, obviously, uh, they're just on and off again arguing all the time. So this clearly pissed her off that she was not getting the rock that she thought she was getting. That's like National Jesus. Lampoon's level. Like, yeah. you're in the jelly of the month club yes. instead of getting your bonus. Yes. What a... <laughs> Ew, I hate this person. And she was also mad that if that was the only gift she was getting, that Mike didn't hand it to her. He just showed up at her house. I mean, you here's know. the thing. I love to get mail. Yeah. But also, if my boyfriend gave me a tea of the month club situation. At least like a wine subscription. That That's like in the hundreds. <laughs> tea of the month is probably tea? like 50. <laughs> yeah. And plus, like, you, you didn't even, there's like no thought that goes into that. Well, that exactly. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Like as a as like an extra gift, as a fun thing to get when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. You know, you open your door and you have a package for your birthday. Cool. That's but fine. Like, yeah, absolutely. But send flowers or something. But like, yeah, have like a necklace at dinner. Something. Edible arrangement and then yes. something else. Yeah. Come on. Let's figure it out. Get it together. Stupid guy. You work at a med <sighs> spa, at least be like, you also get. I know. <laughs> right? So they argued about the marriage thing, to which he said he just wasn't ready yet. Um, you know, he did just, he just had a divorce. Oh, all too, right. Okay. You know? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt did. on that he one. He did. Uh, and soon after, they split up. Rochelle was in her late 40s and didn't want to waste her time on someone who wasn't ready to commit. 
and Rochelle had already been taking dance lessons at the venue dance studio in Lubbock, where she met Joseph. And shortly after her breakup with Mike, she and Joe began dating. I love the thought of her being like, listen, I have begun dance lessons. I am done with you. I I didn't know how else to write that. And I giggled about it, too. That's perfect. I don't need your shit anymore. I am a dancer. I have begun dancing. Goodbye. Look at me. Look at you. Tea of the month? Absolutely not. And actually, (laughs) when you look at a picture of him versus her, you're going to be like, yeah, tea of the month. Free Botox. That's what. Okay, fine. That's that's fair. Yeah, this is ridiculous. He should have had a ring. (laughs) Get your shit together. Get it together, Mike. Oh, God. So Mike Dixon, however, was not over Rochelle because she was definitely like a hottie for him. He continued to reach out to her in hopes of talking things through and winning her back. He no. even offered to let her date him on the side. This way she didn't have to end things with Joe. You fucked it up. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. But Rochelle said no. That wasn't the kind of woman she was. Yeah. Even though, even though she know. was that kind yeah. of woman. Well, she was the other woman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when she's in a committed relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Whatever. She had moved on and he should too. She told police that Joseph knew knew about Mike and Mike knew about Joe, but the two had never met. The twain shall never meet. Yes. The detective immediately went to Mike Dixon's house. Luckily, Dixon was home and invited them in. Dixon's new girlfriend, Ashley Woolbert, was also at the house. God, these people are just like dating rolling in it, man. This was like 2012. If this was today, they'd be like, I don't know how to use Tinder anymore. (laughs) This is just too hard. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. These people, I know. It's like. They're dating it up, man. I know. So they sat down in his living room and he answered all of their questions despite his confusion for even being a suspect. Mm. He was like, we're going through everybody. We have like a list of 100 people. Like you're just on there. We just got to check names off. He was like, okay, come in. Yeah, relax. We can't say you're a suspect yet. It takes like a lot. (laughs) Yes. He answered the detective's questions about his relationship with with Rochelle, saying that it started as an affair. He fell for it quickly and loved how attentive and caring she was toward him. It took some time, but his marriage eventually ended so that they could be together. So he was like, I gave up a lot for this woman. I can hear him also being like, so like we were really good. And then I like got her tea of the month. They do it like in all the interviews, everyone gives them shit. (laughs) It's really funny. Good. He deserves it. What a dumb move. (sighs) And though they had rocky moments, he loved her and did not want their relationship to end. But ultimately, she made the decision to leave. So see, he's still like gaslighting the whole situation. (laughs) What is this guy? Get out of here. Dixon also admits that he thought it wasn't the final reason for their breakup, but on their last argument was over the birthday gift he got her. So he does like say he he like owns up to all of it. Um, He says that she was expecting an engagement ring, but he just wasn't ready to remarry. He tried to get back with Rochelle, letting her know that he made the mistake. Yeah. Um, And he was willing to date her while she dated Joe. But when she said no, he accepted it and is trying to move on and is now in a new relationship. So the detectives asked him where he was on Tuesday and Wednesday. On Tuesday, the day Joseph was killed, Dixon was in an operating room in the morning. He then had lunch with his girlfriend, returned to work for the rest of the day, and then met his girlfriend for dinner around 6 at a restaurant nearby called Lemongrass, to which he had a receipt for, and there is video footage of them there. After, they went home and they were relaxing on the couch till about 7.30-ish. 
Wednesday was fairly similar. Operating room in the morning, had clients for most of the afternoon, and then went home. Dixon's girlfriend, Ashley Wolbert, was also asked. She had a very similar account, but added that at some point on Tuesday evening, again, the day that the doctor died. Okay. After they got home from dinner, a friend of Dixon's named David Shepard stopped by to pick up cigars from him, but didn't stay long, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. Detective Johnson noticed Dixon shot Ashley a look when she brought up David. Uh. Yeah. Huh. So, he kind of like put that back in his back pocket. Remember that. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, regardless, detectives still took Dixon's DNA sample, which he was happily giving up. Okay. Um, he checked. They checked his person for any signs of a struggle because remember the window. Right, right, they, right. And, and mm-hmm. like the knifing. And the knifing, anything like that. Um, but nothing was found. DNA on the Gatorade bottle and some of the other pieces of evidence were still being analyzed. So remember, this is still, this is all happening on Wednesday right, right This now. is really this fast. This is day one. So it would take a few more days for them to rule him out completely. I always forget that because it's just like in movies, you're just like, they have everything yeah, right they're away. They're like immediately sitting there like, yeah. oh, we see from our pocket yes. DNA analyzer that you. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's probably like you. they won't have it probably for like a week. <laughs> no, medical examiner's results take time too. So yeah. like. Mm-hmm. So detectives immediately followed up with David Shepard. So they went right to his house. Like, Okay. That's the friend with the yeah. cigars, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they wanted to confirm his story of picking up the cigars from Dixon's house on Tuesday night. David was happy to talk to the police and assured them that Mike Dixon was a good guy who would not be capable of murder. They needn't waste their time on him. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like maybe David was right. Detectives were immediately interested in their friendship between Dixon and Shepard, though, not the not that two people from different classes couldn't be friends, but Dixon was very wealthy, educated, and respected plastic surgeon in the area. And Shepard was just this older guy living in an apartment complex with a roommate, unemployed, and couldn't seem to keep a job, any job that he had had. He had no money, and yet somehow he and Dixon were investing in a business venture together. So that was like also why they were like hanging out. Oh, what was the business? They never say. Okay. Um, Just, you know, they were just... Investing. All right. (laughs) And it all just seemed odd. But at this point, police weren't finding anything substantial to arrest these men with. Yeah, we can be weird and Mm -hmm. not break the law. Now, I don't know if I deleted this somewhere. Oh, no, I did have this. But they, so and remember, um, Amarillo, Texas is two hours away from Lubbock. So that was also like in their time frame of like travel time and stuff. Yeah. So they're like trying to locate where everybody was. And that's where like with David, they were like, well, he he just couldn't have physically been there. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, with with Mike Dixon, I mean. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Rochelle had also given them the names of Joseph's ex-girlfriends. Maybe that was the answer. A jealous woman who felt that if she couldn't have the handsome doctor, no one else could. Or maybe it was this Tina woman who wrote the letter about being owed money for sex. <sighs> so the detective, maybe it was her pimp. I don't know. Tina. You know? It, I don't know. Ugh. So the detectives had Rochelle bring the letter in for investigation. It was postmarked in Lubbock, Texas. But since the letter had no last name and there was no history of Joseph dating a Tina or even that he like saw like You didn't even workers. try. Like that's such a made up name I know. too. I know. Also, like, her, I don't know. I just thought it was weird because, like, her last name is Shatina. Tina Shatina? Yeah. So no. I don't know. Like, nope. Like, if so, Absolutely know. not. That's like you saying, so who was this woman? And you're like, it was 
Joan Malone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was Stapler Mike. Love him. Yeah. Hate him, but love him. So good. Mm-hmm. Stapler Mike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doubling down. <laughs> exactly. All right. So anyway, the letter was basically a dead end. That didn't lead them anywhere. Yeah, it feels like a big load of bullshit. Yeah, they couldn't get anything off of it. And it was something that Rochelle and the Sonier family felt like was a misdirect anyhow. They were like, we just feel like that's kind of a waste of time. Maybe it might be at least added to something else that's going on. I mean, somebody sent it with purpose, but I don't think it is like, Mm -hmm. I don't think this Tina woman is real and she committed a crime. Yeah. So what about the exes Rochelle and the family knew about. Rochelle brings up one ex that she claims, quote, she has called and called and called to the point where Joseph would have to turn off the ringer and then Joseph would get horrible text messages. Mm -hmm. And the texts were full of vulgarity, but then the next day she would text something sweet like the other texts never happened. The texts were full of vulgarity. Yeah. (laughs) So in an interview with Dateline, they don't mention this woman's name, though, um... Through some of my research of the trial and the women that they had on, like his exes, mm-hmm. it possibly could be this woman, Kat Garcia, Tammy Anderson, or Patricia Hale. So there was like several women that went on trial. It also might not be any of them because we're soon going to find out that Joseph dated a lot of women. I was going to say, this is adding up. This is a lot of women. This is a lot of women. But this, you know, their mother needed to pay for her sins or whatever. Um, yeah. I still don't like that. I'm never going to like it. I know. Anyway. I know. I did think that was really harsh. Now, they also could have just taken his words out of weird context. I don't know. They could have. That's definitely possible. But I'm just saying, like, I feel like I feel like there's two sides to every story and we're not getting the poor late wife's side. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So, all three of these women claim to have dated Joseph after his divorce and all three of them claim to have continued to talk to him and meet with him periodically up until his death. So, I believe that Rochelle, that- who thought she was in a very committed singular mm-hmm. relationship might not have been sorry you're not the singular sensation yes. you thought you were mm-hmm. so whoever this particular ex-girlfriend was further investigation did rule this woman out pretty quickly um detective johnson said that there just wasn't anything there rochelle also talks about trish berlinga the woman joseph dated on and off for about seven years before rochelle the dance instructor All right, that one makes more sense than like mm-hmm. tina fontina or whatever yeah yeah right <laughs> Uh, Trisha also kept, so this is based on Rochelle, that Trisha also kept calling Joseph in hopes of getting back together. Joseph finally asked her for space and the call seemed to stop to the best of Rochelle's knowledge. Uh, She tells the investigators that she really only knows the amount that Joseph has told her. So there could be something more sinister at play there or just like, or their conversations could have kept going because now, again, she's also finding out like, well, maybe he's been seeing other people. You don't don't really know what was going on. Yeah. So. So investigators talked to Trish. According to Trish, she only had two phone conversations and two text messages from Joseph over the course of the last 10 months. So in one of the interviews, you could hear her go like, so if that's a lot, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) But she said that she respected his relationship with Rochelle and was not going to beg to get him back. Um, she just like, she's like, I'm not into that kind of thing either. Like, whatever, uh, I'll I, find something else. That's a lot. Then yeah. You got <laughs> <Not> me. me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, my um, God. <laughs> the investigators went hard on Trish, too, because this would be like she would have made the most sense of like his ex. 
you know, somebody that's like, I'm still in yeah, love with this guy. but now I'm also mad at that. I feel like it's not yeah. Trish. No. So, but, you know, they went hard on her. They tried mm. to get her to confess to anything, even just being jealous. But there just wasn't anything there other than a woman who just found out that the man that she loved was dead and they would never get another chance. So she was oh. just like devastated. I know there's like a lot of sad endings God. in all these. Trish. So detectives continued down the list of exes, but there was no evidence of any foul play on their ends. Why is there so many exes? I don't know. What is this guy? <sighs> that's she, just like, that's what you do when you're, when you're single in your 40s and 50s, just date. I don't know. This guy seems, I mean, I guess he was like pr- pretty, pretty wealthy, probably. He's he was wealthy. Doctor. He was good looking. He was a great dancer. He went to ballroom dancing classes. I have to guess. He had a he golden a dick. Lot. Yes. That's what it was. Yes. He doesn't even have free Botox to his name. Mm-mm. He didn't need it. If you look at the photos. This guy must have been it. phenomenal in bed. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that does not make him a quality person in any other way. So maybe it wasn't an ex-girlfriend. Maybe it was a current girlfriend. Had Rochelle been throwing the detectives off her trail? Wait, a current girlfriend? Is there more than one? Well, no. Okay. Just a current girlfriend. Maybe there, it was the current girlfriend. Listen, there, there could have been in this case. Or well, that maybe was they were swingers. I'm, yeah. I don't know. Well, to her, she was not a swinger, but hmm. he might have been. This guy looks like somebody we know, and I will talk about it okay. when we're done. Okay. <laughs> So why hadn't she gone? So this is the detectives were now like, maybe she's helping too much. You know, let's look into her a little bit more. So they do have her come in for like a formal statement. They were really wondering why if the guy that she loved didn't and they were planned to at least talk or maybe even see each other the night of his death. And she didn't hear from him at all. He just like went silent. Why she only sent a text. And then just didn't think to do like a wellness check. Like she was just kind of like okay with it. Yeah. And so they were like, why wouldn't that too? Whereas like the the woman at the office was like, she he didn't show up for work this morning. I'm going to his house like immediately. My thought would have been like, are you afraid this guy's like mad at you or something? And mm-hmm. you're upset? Yeah. I don't know. I think I think if I was gonna go crazy girlfriend, I still would have like driven to his house. Right. Right. So yeah. So they're just like, did. You know, did she not show up at his house that morning or later that day? Because, like, she knew what she would find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, where their head is right now. Okay. All right. I can follow that. Okay. So the detectives decided to reach out to the family about Rochelle. According to the boys, their father and Rochelle were having some issues, which were primarily about getting married. (laughs) Rochelle was ready for marriage, but Joseph was hesitant. The thought was that he just wasn't sure he wanted to get married again and was having fun dating. Yeah, he sure was. Yeah, And this story made sense to police because after they had reached out to Joseph's ex-girlfriends, it seemed like Joseph wasn't as serious about the relationship as Rochelle was. Some of the women they called claimed that they were still seeing Joe from time to time. When investigators brought this up with Rochelle, it was clear that she was not aware Joseph was still talking or seeing any of these other women. Uh, They took a formal statement from Michelle from Rochelle, but just like everyone else, her story checked out and they were nowhere closer to figuring out who killed Joseph Sonia. So as of right now, she is still definitely not a suspect. Okay, suspect. So four days had passed and the police were stumped. Evidence taken from the home was still being analyzed for DNA and fingerprints. Hopefully there would be a match, but until then, they just hoped that somebody who knew something would talk. Right. So this is how I imagine the next scene. Okay. Detective Johnson is sitting at his desk in his office. 
leaning back in the chair, staring at his crime scene board, maybe looking more closely at the Gatorade bottle or something. The phone rings in the background and a young police officer picks up the phone and you hear him faintly say, What was your name again? Okay, let me put you through to Detective Johnson. And then, louder, the police kid yells to the Detective Johnson, Hey, Mr. Johnson, sir, you have a call on line one. Guy says he thinks his roommate killed that doctor from Lubbock. Wouldn't that be wild? Yes? Detective Johnson swivels his chair toward his office phone, nods at Keith, the police kid. Obviously. Let's out a grunty sigh and then picks up the phone. This is Detective Johnson. Who am I speaking with? NC. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Loving it. So on the phone was a man named Paul Reynolds, a former Green Beret and was currently working as a nursing assistant. Paul was from Oregon, but had been staying with a man named David Shepard for the past month. We know David Shepard. David and he had been friends since childhood, and he noticed that the last couple of weeks he had been acting quite strange. In the last couple of days, he had been drinking a lot and rambling on about killing someone. Okay. When your roommate is a green beret. Yeah. This is not a story full of, like, the brightest bulbs in the chandelier. So Detective Johnson had Paul come in for a formal statement, and he was interviewed by Johnson and Detective Yolanda Pena. I just wanted to give the girl detective a, yes, a shout out. All right. They only ever talk about Johnson, but I'm like, Yolanda was there. Of course. Well, that's how it goes. So Paul goes on to tell the detectives that David had been saying some weird things, like talking about a trip he made to Granada, where he did some special ops type shit and killed some people. Jesus. He told Paul that he helped his mother to his death. She was sick and struggling and had extra, and he had extra units of insulin once he gave to her to help her end her misery. Oh, my God. And recently, David attempted to kill himself by injecting extra units of insulin, taking sleeping pills, and slitting his wrist, obviously failing, and afterwards broke down to Paul about his most recent crime in which he shot and killed a doctor in Lubbock. Oh, my God. Also, like, You did all those things and none of them were successful? Yeah. Wow. So Paul claims David told him that he didn't want to be a bad person and didn't want to hurt people anymore. He thought about killing all the time. He had a list of 40 to 50 people that he either wanted to kill or had killed. This is where Paul was like, I'm not sure. He just saying a bunch of shit. And the other day, David was waiting in the backyard of a doctor's house in Lubbock. And when he came home, David shot and killed him. David told him that the doctor knocked on the window and then he noticed him sitting out back. So he got up to walk to the window and then shot the doctor several times with his gun, with which he had placed a Gatorade bottle on the end of. Okay, well, that lines up real hard. As the doctor was running away, David somehow pushed the window in and went after the doctor. He said that the window didn't break, which is also very important because... That's like a yeah. big, like the Gatorade and the window not shattering. Which is wild. Is things like, that they did not write about. Okay. Detectives asked Paul if David looked injured from the window. And Paul said that David showed him his back and leg where there were abrasions and bruises. Detectives asked Paul if he knew why David wanted to kill the doctor. Paul said that David was hired by this guy, Mike Dixon. Oh, no! Who was also a doctor. He thinks that there was some sort of love triangle going on between Uh. the two doctors and this woman. And Dixon hired David to kill the doctor from Lubbock. Paul also added that Dixon paid David with three silver bars. 
Very untraceable. Why? Very untraceable. Why? Very old timey. Yeah. What are you, a prospector? <laughs> I will pay you in silver. Yeah. You're Yukon Cornelius. Is that yeah. what's happening? Yep. Oh, God. While Paul was being interviewed, other officers were listening to the statement. And when they heard about the silver bars, they did a quick search of where someone could exchange silver bars for cash. And lo and behold, they located a pawn shop and traded that traded a bar of silver for cash the day that Dr. Joseph Sonier died. Just the most traceable mm -hmm. currency. And the man that came in with the silver bar was David Shepard. So they like kind of like knocked on the window and were just like, yeah, that that lines up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> you might as well have been like, I, I agreed to murder him and I was paid in a live gorilla, which yes. I then sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So the police were now off to make some arrests. They first went to David Shepard's house. When police arrived at his apartment and said, we know what you did, he immediately <laughs> broke down and told them everything. <laughs> you did it. They did. Yeah. Several months prior, he and Dr. Dixon had become pretty close friends. They were both going through divorces and were there for each other. Dixon started talking about the relationship between Rochelle and Dr. Sonier. Uh, Dixon was upset about this relationship because he left his wife for this woman and he wished that he had another chance. So they discussed maybe they could spread some rumors about Dr. Sonier, maybe um, even catch him out with other women. So they had David uh, start tailing Rochelle and Joseph, trying to catch Joseph in any compromising situations. And so when Rochelle said that she felt like someone was watching her, someone was David Shepard. Oh, my God. And when Joseph said it felt like someone was trying to drive a wedge between their relationship, someone was Dr. Dixon. Oh, my God. I also have a real problem with him saying, I left my wife for this woman. I know. Because he did it after they broke up. I know. And that doesn't fucking count. Like, she left him. Yeah, she broke up with you, and then you left your wife to try and get her back. You did not leave your wife for this woman. No, 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 no. He... The wife found out about the affair. Okay. She divorced him. They oh, were together. He didn't at all leave his wife. No. Oh, I fucking hate this guy. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. No, I'm done. Now I'm yelling. So when this plan didn't work, they, you know, they couldn't catch. Well, Shepard said like they, he wasn't finding any photos that they could use against Dr. Sonier. Mm. Um, Dixon escalated the plan from stalking to killing. He was like, we'll just have to get rid of him. And well, I guess I'll have to start killing yeah. now. And Dixon said that he would pay David three silver bars, which would equate about nine to $10,000. David agreed, and Dixon gave him a handgun and gas money and sent him off to Lubbock. David knew exactly where the house was because he had already been there spying on Joseph and Rochelle and had even taken a picture of them one evening where he forgot to turn his flash off. So he took the picture and then ran. That was his dumbass outside mm -hmm. with the flash on. Which means Joseph and Rochelle did see a camera flash that night. And yeah. had they called the cops or even ran out of the house to see what was up, they might have actually caught David in the act. Because um, it's also like a big backyard. Don't just like, ignore they that. I never would have slept yeah. again. I wouldn't be like, there was a flash in my backyard. It's probably fine. I know. And they felt like they saw somebody too. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't that was weird. Know I don't why know why they're, they're ignoring call. these things. I know. Um, on the night of the murder, David arrived at Joseph's house before he got home from work and waited in the backyard. When Joseph returned home, he grabbed a drink, sat in his chair, and then noticed a man sitting outside in his backyard. Joseph walked up to the back window. David saw Joseph and walked up to the window. And then David reached into his pocket, pulled out a small handgun, which had the Gatorade bottle on the end of it as a makeshift silencer. 
saw Joseph take a few steps back, and then David fired his gun at him, which caused Joseph to drop the drink he had in his hand and step back a few more times. David fired off a few more rounds. Joseph ran around the corner of the room he was in, so David tried pushing the window in to go after him. The window fell without shattering. He climbed through and followed Joseph where he found him lying on the ground in the garage. David checked for a pulse and didn't find one, so he pulled a knife from his pocket and stabbed Joseph several more times for good measure. Then he left and drove straight to Dr. Dixon's house to tell him the job was done. So this is what David is telling the cops right now. Cool, cool. He also, so David believed that the doctor was already dead, but he actually didn't, it was actually the stab wounds that killed him. He was just faintly breathing. So he probably still would have died had nobody come to the house. Although if, maybe, not if, I don't want to say that because it was, it was probably a long enough period of time. He probably still would have bled out. Pro- uh, yeah. Unless, oh, yeah. unless he, unless, I don't know if unless he could have come back to a phone or something. You, phone. I mean, you don't really know, you know? But it's like, I don't know if Rochelle had made it over too, if she would have gotten him in time. I don't know. But either way, yeah, he was, it was the stabbing that wow. ultimately killed him because he hit a couple of. Wow, wow, spots. wow. When, so when he got to Dixon's house, Dixon gave him the remaining two bars of silver and a box of Cuban cigars. So Dixon must have, this is like where he like jolts, but Dixon must have already given him one bar of silver. And a box of Cuban cigars. And then, oh, so where yeah. are you getting silver bars? He's just like a rich, weird guy okay. this, in Texas. <laughs> He's Yosemite Sam, basically. Mm-hmm. David went home to his apartment and proceeded to drink and use prescription pills and told his roommate Paul everything. So the guilt of what he did was coming on strong, and he attempted suicide by slitting his wrist. Instead of going to the ER to get patched up, he called Dixon and met him at his office after hours to get stitched up. Oh, right, because he's a doctor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he can't go to the hospital because then there would be, like, a record of him there. And also, I'm thinking, too, like, whether he knew this or not, if he tried to kill himself, or maybe Dixon told him not to go to the hospital. So I don't know that Shepard would have thought about this. but. If he went there for committing, and it looked like he was committing suicide, they would have put him in a psych ward, yeah. too, which then maybe he would get some help. At least at least he would have been under, like, a hold. Yeah. And the police would have had to come in. Yeah, they would have. Mm-hmm. He would have been in, like, well, I don't know if they bring him in for every suicide attempt, but they— I think they would have brought him, them in for this guy. There would have been a sure, record of him, and he, he probably would have been on a mandatory hold at yeah. least for, like, three mm-hmm. days in the hospital. Yeah. I think I did try to read that somewhere. In Texas, the police would have been called. Interesting. Okay. So, the police are satisfied with his confession. They arrest him and take him to jail in Lubbock, where he will await trial. In Texas, the penalty for murder is death. The DA office offered David a plea deal, though. They told him if he pled guilty to capital murder and testified against Dr. Dixon, he will still get life in prison without the possibility of parole, but they will take the death sentence off the table. And David agreed to these terms. The death sentence is such a valuable bargaining chip. I know. Like, even if you never, ever use it, so many deals are made just simply by saying, okay, we'll just give you life in prison if you do X, Y, and Z. Right. Wild. Yeah. Which I sometimes I don't understand because I would be like, do I want to spend my life in prison? I know. A lot of these people think that they, because they are entitled to appeals, that they're going to get. That's true. Which we will find out in this case. Oh, there you go. 
While searching David's apartment, investigators found several knives in Shepard's home, which I was like, of course they would because it's a home. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to find knives. Yeah, you're going to have knives. <laughs> but they don't say anything about them being like weird, sinisterish knives. Along with a pile yeah. of silver bars and a yeah. live gorilla. But they found several knives, um, including one that was stained in blood. They right. also found a notebook containing Dr. Sony's address, a description of his vehicle, and contact information. It's not looking good for this guy. Nope. And two of the silver bars and box of cigars. So remember, he had already mm -hmm. cashed one of those bars in. Meanwhile, a SWAT team executed a search warrant on doc Dr. Dixon's home. In the middle of the night, it was like 2 a.m., they came swarming in. They got him out of oh my bed God. and told him that he was under arrest for the murder of Dr. Sonier. And Dixon asked for a lawyer, like, right away. Yeah. While searching for his home, the SWAT team found rifles, shotguns, and ammunition, which it's Texas home, so I'm not sure that's necessarily shocking. Yeah. On the day of Dixon's arrest, the Sonier family were heading to their father's funeral when they got the call from the detective telling them that they made an arrest. And as hard as it was for them to hear the news um, of how and why their father died, they actually felt a sense of peace while laying him to rest. At least they had some justice. Yeah. Now the trial was set to begin and Dixon was claiming his innocence. Luckily, once David got to the stand, the world would know the truth. Unfortunately, on the day David testified, he had a different story. Uh-oh. He told the jury that his decision to kill Dr. Sonier was all him, him and him alone. And Dr. Dixon had nothing to do with it. He was a good man. Wild, right? Yeah. So the defense, who were Dr. Dr. Dixon's attorneys, agreed with David's statement. They were like, yeah, that's, that's right. what that's... we were going to say. And yeah. Sure did save us some time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Their case was that Dr. Dixon did make arrangement with David to follow Joseph in hopes of catching him with another woman or in, ho or in some compromising situation so that he had dirt on him to show Rochelle in hopes of breaking up their relationship. Not that it would be like if Rochelle found out, like if, if they found She's something. run back to the other guy? What? Right. Or, you know, if he got some sort of piece of information, it was like, you're, this guy's cheating on you. And she'd be like, how do you know? Yeah. Be like, because I've been spying on him oh, for cool. months. Oh, cool. I love you. That's yeah, great. that's great. Thank no. you. Oh, my God. Never. But they also claimed that killing the doctor was never discussed. It was just, it was just about stalking, not about killing. When pressed about the silver bars that David received, which were found in David's apartment. And along, the weirdest thing ever. Along with the box of cigars. They say that Dixon did give Shepard those silver bars, but it was for a business investment for a company they were starting. Again, I don't know what the company is, though. It's, it's not for anyone else to know. It's silver bracelets. Yes. Right. <laughs> All right. So the prosecution talks about these silver bars that David gets. And what's weird, what they find weird is why would Dixon need to give David almost like a personal advancement for a business investment? only to give him two more bars the same day that he killed Dr. Sonier. So he gave him a bar the day before he killed Dr. Sonier. And David went immediately to cash it in. And then he took the money, which was $2,700, and he bought a new grill, he bought new tires, and then he took his three daughters out to a very fancy dinner, which they all thought was very weird because they were like, Dad, where'd you get all this money? He never had money. He was awful with it. And now we just like came into all of this money all of a sudden. 
And they were like, oh, I just, I did some, I'm going to do some work for Mike and he paid me in advance. And they were like, that feels weird. Yeah. So then if he did kill, well, he, he does, he, throughout the whole thing, he claimed, he says that he's the one that did kill right, Dr. Right. Sonia. But then the next day he would have gotten two more bars or that night he got the other two bars. And the next day is when he cashed in the rest of them or would have cashed in the rest of them. Oh, yeah. So it just feels weird. Like that just, if it's a business investment, like why are you giving like half? Yeah. And he's not using it for an investment in any business. He's using it for himself. And what so, is this business? Yeah, exactly. All right. So the prosecution also had compromising text messages between Dr. Dixon and David. The text messages actually had to be retrieved because coincidentally, Dixon found himself immersed in water with his phone in his pocket shortly after the police came to visit him the first time. Ugh, what a horrible coincidence. So there was some missing text. Uh, some had been deleted as well, but then there was some missing from um, when he like went in the water. But they were able to recover most of them. Some of the messages from the day of the murder between Dixon and David read, you have to stay close. Watch him in the AM. Go get him. We have to make this happen ASAP. Get her done. Get her done. Oh. It's a very Texas case. <laughs> when in doubt, invoke Larry the Cable Guy. But altogether, there had been 37 texts and four calls between Dr. Dixon and David on July 10th, 2012. That's, That's the lot. day of the murder. And 21 texts the next day including one text sent to David from Dr. Dixon that read, just had a visit from Lubbock PD, Ash, which is the girlfriend, Ashley. Okay, right, right. Ash said, you came, for, you came by for cigars. They will see our texts and conversations. Stay calm. Lay low. So that's also... They will see our texts and conversations, yet I'm going to text you that they will see our texts and conversations. Come on. I know. Ugh. They also had a few of the photos David took of Joseph and Rochelle on his phone that were sent to Dixon, one of them of being the photo he took in the backyard that one night. Oh, there was also okay. a photo of David uh, that David took the night of the murder that was of the window he later broke through. In the picture, you why, can why see... Why would you take a picture of that? I can't. Well, because he's just, yeah, he's just taking photos. I, I know, he's yeah. so bad at this. I know. I know so in the picture, you can see David's reflection, too. And this photo was also sent to Dixon that night, obviously. Why would he need to send him that photo that night? Yeah. So when the prosecution asked Dixon about the photos of Dr. Sonia's window the night of the murder, his response was that he had sent David to Dr. Sonia's house to install cameras. But when Dr. Sonia came home, David must have just gone rogue and killed him. Right. So he's still like, I'm not just get so her weird. done. Oh my God. And by get her done, I mean mm -hmm. install oh, cameras. cameras. Uh uh. <sighs> Turn How? off your phone splash. How, yeah, right? How like stupidly confident do you need to be to think people will believe this? It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So the gun that David used to shoot Dr. Sonier was also proven to be Dr. Dixon's gun. Well, actually, it was Dixon's brother's gun. That's mm. who it was registered to. Okay. But Dixon does say that he had it. Originally, David said that uh, Dr. Dixon gave him this gun, but the defense attorney said, no, that gun was stolen from Dixon's desk. It was in a location that David would have known about and wasn't locked up, so it was easily accessible. 
and David would testify on the stand that he did steal it from Dixon's house. How convenient. So the gun was found in a pond in the back of the the Sensi Med Spa, which is very sus. That's Dixon's place of work, too. Part of me is like, I also wonder if that that gun did get tossed like the day he went over there to get patched up, you know? And he was just like had it and he just like tossed it in the lake. Like, let's just get rid of this. I mean, yeah, that's a very reasonable explanation for that. After a few weeks of trial, it was up to the jury to decide Dixon's fate. They had all the evidence. Uh, They were shown a video of David's original testimony. They had heard his new testimony. They had heard Dixon's testimony along with Rochelle's testimony. And they had to decide whether they were going to believe the original story or this new one. They all could agree that Dixon definitely hired Dave to stalk Dr. Sonier. But they couldn't all agree on Dixon ordering the kill. Come on, really? So after a long deliberation, the jury came back as a hung jury and the case was deemed a mistrial. Uh, they just like, were like, we, this guy is shit. He's definitely shit. Yeah, But no I question. don't know. They all felt like there was something wrong with David. They were like, he's a weird guy. Yeah, he like is pretty desperate. Yeah, we don't know um, what his deal is. We could totally see him just like, I don't know, taking one for the team and like, he seems to be obsessed with Mike. Or being like, this is what he wanted me to yeah. do, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, yeah. and then the other guy being like, no, man. Yeah. No, too far, too far. Yeah. So the next trial date didn't happen until 2015. Okay. This trial, the prosecu- at this trial, the prosecution called Paul Reynolds to the stand to testify. This was the one that made the phone call, remember? Right, right, right. The Green Beret. The Green Beret. Who, like, why would you do that if that was your roommate? Okay, mm-hmm. fine. They didn't have him on the first time around. He had told the same story he told police four days before the murder. Rochelle was back on the stand to paint the dark picture of her relationship with Dr. Dixon Mm -hmm. and the type of man he was. The text messages were put forth again. Instead of David on the stand this time, because they were like, we're not even going to put him up there. (laughs) We get this weirdo Um, out of here. They put one of his daughters on the stand. She believed their father was lying to protect his friend. She believed that this was, that his first confection was the real one. Both she and Paul described David as a guy who tells tall tales, lies often, especially about his work opportunities, and is always screwing things up in his Mm -hmm. work and personal life. Neither one of them felt like he could be a mastermind behind this murder and that it's more likely he is trying to protect his friend, a doctor with money who was showing him a life that he could never have, taking him out to cigar bars, eating at nice restaurants, drinking good whiskey, discussing business adventures, etc. Oh my God. I like how they're like, no, he was not this savvy. Sorry. And on November 18th, 2015, after only two hours, the jury found Dixon guilty of capital murder. Yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole, the same sentencing as David Shepard. I think the DA took the death penalty off the table for Dixon as well because they thought they'd have a better time convicting him. Right. Yeah. Dixon and his attorney were obviously not happy with this outcome and... Uh, A year later, in 2016, they filed an appeal, which the prosecution saw as a pretty routine thing to do. They weren't really, yeah, they weren't really worried about it. It was kind of the same stuff that they always do, um, except this appeal was granted. And in 2019, Dixon was released from prison on a $2 million bond. He still had a bench warrant in Lubbock County, so he wasn't truly free for the time being, but he was out. Yeah. He was able to be out. His appeal was won on two issues, how the police collected certain cell phone evidence and restrictions on public access to the courtroom on several occasions. 
Lubbock prosecutors then filed their own appeal to a higher court. And this was like, they call it their Hail Mary Mm because they're just like, this almost never happens. The higher court did take the case for review and ruled in the favor of the prosecution. And in April of 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, Dr. Dixon was back in prison. After Dixon's conviction was reinstated, his defense attorney told local media that the trial was infected with legal errors and that he was confident Dixon would be granted a new trial. But for now, Dixon is still in jail, serving life without parole. And that's basically where we're at with the story right now. Dixon could get another day in court. I mean, they're really just looking for um, like like loopholes at this point. Yeah. His appeal isn't like, I'm definitely innocent. It's just looking for mistakes the other side made in court or the police mm-hmm. made in the investigation to be like, well, your evidence isn't, you know, isn't sound. And so you, you know, you have to overturn yeah. my conviction. But that's yeah. also like, to me, feels like the mark of a guilty man too. Like you're not even trying to prove your innocence with, facts about your innocence you're just trying to poke holes in their in their case right like I was just stalking him and it was just a little late stalking yeah and I didn't get enough time in the courtroom I left my wife for this woman yeah no she left you no sir none Mm -hmm. of that sir Ugh. What a frustrating a-hole. I know. All right. So I have two statements that I pulled. Okay. Um, One was from the sons. They gave a little tribute to their father. So they said, um, in addition to being an amazing dad, Joe Sonier was a highly respected doctor, a mentor to several of the younger pathologists that worked for him at the hospital, a trusted source of wisdom and advice to his brothers and sisters, and one heck of a good dancer. Yeah got him a lot of women yeah sure did wow um and then rochelle had a statement too this one was about dixon though i like this statement there are real sociopaths and psychopaths that walk among us they're charming and they are witty and they sit at the table with you and your children and sometimes they sleep in your bed with you they're not capable of feeling love for you or empathy for anyone when the mask starts to slip when you see that don't ignore it don't try to rationalize it and get out as fast as you can truly run as fast as you can she must feel like so guilty. She must. Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, she, it's not her fault, but no, no, it's not her fault. Not it's not all. any of their faults. It's Dixon's fault. Uh, yeah, obviously. But I mean, like, if I was, if I were her, I probably would feel horrible too. Yeah. Like you can't not. But yeah, isn't this just a crazy case? Yeah, it's so weird and twisty, turny. Like, yeah. there's so much, like, I don't know, weird involvement, and also. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's even more to it that we don't know. I know. So, all right. When I first heard this case, it was definitely mostly based on the Dateline episode that came out. Right. And their take on it was very much like Rochelle was was the girlfriend. They don't really talk about the other exes as like being like being women that he was continually seeing. Right. So it was just a little bit more like this was the love of his life and that kind of tale. So which doesn't feel like that's that was necessarily the truth. So then when I went through some of the trial uh, articles, Mm -hmm. um, there was several women that came onto the stand that were like, he would call us like sometimes we'd meet up, but sometimes we didn't like he was it was clear that he was definitely with Rochelle. So it right. wasn't like they knew they were all being like the other woman. They knew they were side bitches. Mm-hmm. But Ugh. also the doctor was 
very much like I'm not because like based on what the family members would say, it was kind of like he was dating Rochelle and that kind of was his girlfriend, but it was still almost casual. And that's how they all felt about it. So I don't know. That's where it's also like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Rochelle did any of this, but no, it doesn't. That's, I was also waiting for that at some point in the story. Like that's where some of, some of it was going, but it didn't. So this guy seems like he was dating like a lot of people at once. Yeah. And, um, that like doesn't always end well. Yeah. I also think it's, awfully funny that this guy is dating so many people at once and yet his kids like completely condemn their mother yeah I mean I don't like here's the thing this is Uh, what I will say about that because I don't you don't hear from the other boys I only hear from this from Dallas right and they didn't speak for that many years but I don't know how their relationship got fixed after and what it was like yeah I also don't know how devastating it was and what she did. Yeah. In, their, I mean, in the marriage, you know, like, had was she cheating on her father that whole time? Were they cheating on each other? Were, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You don't just, really know a lot of, of that part. And so because this story isn't about their mom. So right. it's like that story just kind of, this is all they have on it. But also, like, their dad didn't talk much about it. And their mom didn't talk much about her yeah. relationship with Juan. But also, like, it seemed like they didn't really want to know her relationship with Juan either. It just feels curiously one-sided in favor of Joseph. Right. But also, I will say that the story, again, like, literally bears of no course. reference. Like, it has no, nothing no, to course. do with No, no, of course. I'm just talking about, death. like, in fleshing out his character. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of, like, she was an awful, horrible nightmare and he was a saint. But then, like, you look at his behavior and you're kind of like, well, yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That just feels weird and unfair to me. Right. I mean, I think that you said it the harshest than any yeah. other article had said it. It was oh, more yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah, like she she left him and he wasn't expecting it. And it, and his he was yeah heartbroken and it took him a little time to move on. Yeah, I think I, I think it's just I think <laughs> I was just hit by like what her kids said about yeah. her kid, duh, what the he said kid, about her. Yeah. I'm like, oh. All and, right. like, meaning redemption. I don't know. He could have also... Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe she used that word. She was maybe just she like, did. I want to be a good and, grandmother because I wasn't there. You know, she broke trust and she did cheat on her husband and that's not a good thing. I'm just saying, like, I'm looking and at she this... she lied to her kids. Yeah. I'm just looking at this whole big, long, twisty story being like, I'm sorry. I, I feel like everyone just, was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. What a what a weird time. I know I I'm know. Fo- I'm like focusing on a weird little thing. It just it just yeah. seems so weird to me. Yeah, I know. I well, know. Like and plus they're like, yeah, you, this Rochelle woman was great. Well, meanwhile, she's got like a million boyfriends too. <laughs> like, why are you excusing everyone else's behavior? Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. I know. She was just out there trying to find love with a doctor. I mean, yeah. You know, I get it. Just got to live your life, yeah, lady. But all of the kids are doing well. Good. Rochelle's doing her thing. She's dancing um, or whatever she yeah. needs to do, I guess. And um, they are probably just all really nervous that Mike Dixon will get another trial. I mean, yeah, I would be. Oh, boy. It's also like dealing with people who 
or essentially order a hit, right? This is like a killing for mm-hmm. hire situation. Yes. That's so tricky to um, to charge people with because they didn't do anything. Like he didn't kill someone. He right. orchestrated it. Right, which is, I think, just as bad. It is, if not worse. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like when people call um, Charlie Manson a serial killer. No, he didn't kill anybody. He made other people do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just weird. Anyway, it, I'll be it, interested it is, to see. It is weird. Um, and I do, like you said, I do think it's worse because, especially in this situation, because yeah. David was hard up for cash. He was broke. And, like, I mean, the first, one of the first things he does is, like, take his daughters out to dinner. Like, he yeah. just probably felt like such a shitty man. And, like... And so to be given, like, 10 grand to right. do something, you're kind of like, okay... And also, like, his new best friend is this, like, doctor with money. That's and right. he's living, like, a life that he wouldn't have normally. Plus, like, we all know that guy that's, like, well, we're best friends now. And, like, this guy's doing—I'm going to kill this guy for you. Yeah. Who, yeah. like, would just maybe take it into their own hands and mm-hmm. think they were really acting on behalf of this other person when they took it too far. Right. I also want to know more about Shepard. Like, did he kill 40 people or is it just yeah. the name? <laughs> did he mercy kill his mother? Yeah. Are we I just not going to gonna talk about that? I need to know more about this. We you should like, talk about this and host more now. Okay. We like, you OD'd your mom on insulin. Okay. Yeah. That's, you can check that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Toast? Yeah, please. Okay. So to, uh, God, this is like a messy one. I know. I guess. To uh, Rochelle, maybe? I don't know. I don't feel like she did everything right. Maybe Trish? Poor <laughs> Trish. Poor Trish. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to give it. Rochelle, the Sonia boys. Philip, for sure. Philip needs a yeah. toast. yeah. All right. Cheers. Yeah. Um, do we have anybody else to toast? We do. We Hooray! have one. We have a patron, a new patron, oh. Kevin Robert Stephen Blood. Ooh, good like name. It. Yeah. A lot of names, all of them good. Yes. He is a best fiend. We thank you, yeah, Kevin, thank you. Robert, Stephen, Blood. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> awesome. All right. Take us home, Leslie. And if we had recently taken up dancing and found ourselves in a love triangle or a bad romance, we would be dead. I've taken up dancing. <laughs> I don't have to deal with you anymore. Plie. <laughs> I'm a better person for it. And then I grangete away. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Just a pathologist during the day, ballroom dancer at night. Oh boy.